If you're into tech, I don't have to tell you what Docker is today. Docker along with Kubernetes is at the forefront of the container-based software delivery. And I'm sure you've, you have already gotten started with it. If not, you would pretty soon. Now, do you know the story behind Docker though? How it came into being? Now that's what I'm here to tell you today. Hello, this is Gaurav Shah, your host for this podcast, Being DevOps. And this third episode of the podcast has been sponsored by listeners like you who have subscribed to my courses on schoolofdevops.com, Udemy, and many other platforms. Now let's get started with the story of Docker. The story of Docker starts much before when the first version of Docker was released in 2013. Now this story begins in 1979 when chroot or chroot was introduced as part of the Unix systems. Now what is this chroot concept? Chroot stands for change root. And what does it mean is, let's say you are um, running a Linux system and and you're not a root user or an administrator user. Even though you're not a root user, with your restricted privileges, you can change the root of your system. And that actually creates something called as a namespace. So the namespace and charroot was introduced in sometime 1979. And once you are in that restricted area, you can act as an administrator, you can act as a root user. And that's what Charoot allows you to do. It's a sort of a file system namespace as we call in containers today. So even though you are not a root, you can change your root in your home directory, you can become root and you can install packages, you can you know uh, do all of that, you can possibly run applications and all of that. The applications do not run with uh, isolation, but you can still do that. You can have different versions of applications and libraries installed in different directories and you can switch to those directories and launch an application with different versions of it. For example, I can run with Java 8 and uh, Java 7 and on the same system in different restricted environments from different directories. That's what Charut allowed you to do. And that was the beginning of running your applications or process in isolation. Sometime in 2001 and 2004, BST and Solaris respectively brought these kind of concepts and then more sophisticated versions of it into their own systems. Now essentially, when you say talk about containers, BST jails, Solaris zones, all of these are types of operating system level virtualization. So when you talk about virtualization, we typically reference, let's say something like VMware or Citrix, um, you know, uh, Zen server and stuff like that. So this is typically a hardware level virtualization. So every VM that you run has its own processor, has its own virtual memory, has its own virtual BIOS and all that. Whereas when you talk about the operating system virtualization, you do not have, you know, um, separate or virtual CPUs and memories and all of that. In fact, you don't even have a different kernel and you don't have to boot the operating system again. So you use the same operating system, you would use the same kernel 
And within that same operating system, instead of running processes on the same machine, you could now run them in their isolated environments. And BST jails and Solaris zones are almost similar to what sophisticated containers are in today's world. And this is back in 2001 and 2004. Sometime in 2003 and 4 period, Google started migrating their workloads to containers. Now they realized a lot of issues with um, when you know they wanted to run it at scale and containers offered, uh, they started with initial namespaces which were available in Linux, but those were not enough. They had to create a way to isolate the processes that was very important. And they started working around that and they contributed to a lot of code which forms the container code base in the Linux kernel today. In 2005, the first Linux container system uh, called as OpenVZ was introduced. It was created by a company called as Virtuzo. Now, OpenVZ was an open source version of it. I, st I picked up this system sometime back in 2006, that, that period, 2006-2007, around that time. Now, the thing about OpenVZ was it was quite complex to use and then there was no ecosystem around it. So if you wanted to use it, you had to recompile the kernel. That itself is an advanced task for a lot of people. And then you had to recompile the kernel, you had to introduce all of those features, um, you know, install those in your kernel. And only then you would have, you could use OpenVZ as a system. Apart from that, there was no way to build and automate the images. Uh, you had to do a lot of things manually. There was no distribution mechanism such as Docker Hub today or the registries today. Uh, there was no orchestration engine at all. So there were only few takers of the system called as OpenVZ. In general, the experience was, you know, only for the, it appeared like it was only for the geeks and it was quite complex to use. So sometime in 2006, Google started working on something called as process containers. This was mainly to isolate the re and restrict the resources per process that you would run in a contained environment. Now with namespaces, you could run your application or a process in a isolated environment. For example, you could run a process with its own operating system files and versions of the libraries, for example with its own network, with its own, um, you know, um, PIDs and so on. That's what namespaces offered. But you still needed a way to control resources in terms of CPU, memory, uh, possibly network, disk and so on. Right? Because one container running out of memory, uh, let's say running out of memory and leaking memory might affect the other containers on running on the same system. So Google started working on it. And there was a lot of work that Google contributed to the kernel code between 2003 and 2008. Uh, then later on was released in 2008 uh, with namespaces and C groups. So process containers that Google started work on were later on named as control groups. And now it is commonly named as or known as C groups. C groups and namespaces became the de facto features of the Linux kernel in 2008. And what came out of that was LXE, the first sophisticated version of Linux containers. And with this LXE, there were a lot of companies started building their solutions on top of this. 
Now, one such company was named as DotCloud. It was started in 2009 and they initially started working on a product which would be a web-based collaborative environment for developers. So if you, uh, if you and your colleague are geographically separated, let's say you are in India and your colleague is in US, you can collaborate through a web browser, write the code in one window and then execute that same code in another window through a browser. Now that execution of code, the runtime environment was provided using the underlying LXC technology. Now DotCloud started uh, in 2009, they had raised funding. By the end of 2012, they were almost running out of funds. They were almost on the verge of bankruptcy. There was, there was an article uh, written on uh, the story of .cloud and so on. And why .cloud story is important, you'll know in a minute. So by 2000 end of 2012, I would say, um, the founder of .cloud brought his team together and they decided to open source their underlying technology that they used and which was built on top of Alexi. And that's what they called as project docker and that's how docker came into being and today docker is one of the most contributed and one of the most successful companies uh, successful uh, project in a way and uh, later on dot cloud was renamed in 2013 to docker inc and that is the story of docker
Well, I truly hope you enjoyed that story. And if you did, definitely do consider subscribing to this podcast. And if you are locked down during this global pandemic and not sure how to make constructive use of your time, do check out my DevOps Mastery courses on www.schooloftevops.com. I'm also launching career transformation programs for operations engineers who want to be DevOps engineers. And if you're interested in that, definitely check out my webinar link from my site schooloftevops.com and I'll see you live and talk about the six steps and three secrets to be a successful DevOps engineer. This is your host, Gaurav Shah, and I'm signing off and I'll see you again in the next episode with probably another interesting DevOps story. Thank you.